and welcome to the UCC Green Campus podcast. I'm joined today by President John O'Halloran. John, you're very welcome. Thank you very much, Mark. It's a real privilege to be with you and, and to have a, get involved with this conversation about our great Green Campus University. And I believe congratulations are in order as well, John. Congratulations. And it's great to have someone from Bees as well in the top office. So sticking Thanks, with Mark. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is my second day, actually. So, I mean, you know, I, I really, this is, it's identifies the priority that I play to, to the work that you're doing, but also to us as a university that we are a university of impact, a university where the environment matters, where green matters, and not in the kind of greenwashing sense that some people portray it, but in a real deep sense. And I hope during this conversation, we can kind of gain an understanding together. And, you know, I'm, I'm learning every day. Um, and I'll let you in a little secret tomorrow, because I'm not sure when this podcast is going out, but uh, tomorrow I've got a paper coming out in Nature, um, which is going to look at the role of insects in decomposition and climate change, which is uh, from six continents and 51 countries, of which I did the work in Ireland. So it's amazing, and it's showing the impact of insects on, on climate. So as a president, I think I, I, I feel proud that I in this office are doing that work, but you're doing this work, our students, our faculty, and right across the organization, we're doing some amazing uh, activities. So I'm really excited about having this conversation. And, and it's great to see the, the impact of our research across the world as well. We might start there. So about your, a bit about your academic background. So you did sure. start off in bees. Yeah, so I'd start actually before, before bees, you see, there was a, what was called the zoology department. So just going way back. So I started UCC uh, in 1979. So that's a long time ago. I, I took, it was a zoology department then. There was only 13 of us in the class, um, very small class. And uh, we, um, we proceeded on and I graduated. And then I did my PhD immediately after that. I was lucky enough to get a first class honors. Um, and I um, did a PhD then on, on swans. And I, I've always worked on birds and I just love uh, birds and pollutants. They were the kind of two parts of my life. So I did my PhD on lead toxicity in swans. And I know some people have had fun looking at the, the videos that are done out in Cork Lock. And, you know, but to me, that's important, actually, that people understand the, the work that a zoologist does and a, or an environmental science does, because most of them think we work in zoos and do all those sorts of interesting things, which are really important, actually. But as you and I know that I think one of the great trainings that environmental scientists, ecologists and zoologists get is actually um, to learn about diversity, first of all, and the importance of diversity. And then secondly, that nothing is black and white in biology. So life, you know, life is not black and white, actually. There are shades of gray and shades of green, if you want to use that phrase. And then I finished my PhD and I had a huge privilege of working in the University of Wales in Cardiff, um, looking at the impact of acid rain on river birds. Um, called dippers, um, which are amazing little black and white birds that live on rivers, uh, about smaller than a blackbird, but kind of very wren-like, and they bob up and down. And I worked there for two years, and it was amazing. I mean, the job was to try and see uh, how you might restore the rivers for birds. Um, and uh, rather like carbon today and climate action and, and global warming, in the 80s, the big issue was acid rain. Um, and the connection with acid waters, whether those acid waters were exacerbated through uh, forestry or whether it was actually anthropogenic acidification. So I worked with a guy called Steve Ormerod, who was a great guy, and he, he ran a program on dippers with a lady called Stephanie Tyler. And my job was, Mark, you're going to love this, my job was to, to see how I could restore the rivers for dippers. So there was large tracts of mid-Wales, um, 
So, so north of Cardiff, about 60 miles up the A470, there's big tracts of rivers, uh, the Wye River, beautiful river, the River Severn, the headwaters. And my job was to see how we could feed the dippers on the river because they, they, their diets had been impacted. I don't know if you feed garden birds, but a lot of people do. So people put feeders out in their garden. So my job was to, to feed dippers on a river. Now I'm going to ask you as an environmental scientist, have you ever thought about how you might feed a wild animal a food supply? And I, I'll tell you what I did, but I'm just curious what you think about that, about putting, putting feeders on a river, you know? Um, I'd have no idea, John. <laughs> yeah. Can I say I didn't either, actually? And so, the, so I was testing the hypothesis. I suppose it was the hypothesis was so the dippers uh, are, are exclusively riverine, so they live in the river um, and they feed on on calcium-rich food. And what tended to happen in areas of acid waters is that the 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 calcium-rich food would get washed away. So the, the hypothesis was, um, could we? provide food supply and was it a food supply itself or was it a calcium supply that was limiting the birds so I had to come up with some food food supply for the birds first so uh, you're going to laugh at this I used to go up to uh, to Newtown which is in northern Wales and collect a big bucket full of maggots you know those blue like califera blue fly maggots yeah, yeah. and those, those maggots then we I used to bring them home like some people go home and feed the dog I used to go home and feed the maggots. And so I had them in two batches, one batch for feeding on calcium and one feeding on no calcium. And then I had my food supply. So how do you get maggots that are alive and moving around onto a river so that the birds can feed them? Now it's easy at home, you can get it. Well, it's not easy, it's never easy. But if you've got nuts, you can put them in a feeder. But how do you put something like a maggot who's constantly moving around? So what I did, and I was looking and I said, how can I create a feeder for a river? And what I did was, I found uh, that if you get a traffic cone, you know the red and white traffic cones? Yeah. And if you turn them upside down, you kind of get a funnel shape. And then if you, if you can imagine, this is ridiculous now when I think about it, but anyway, I might as well keep going. Um, the little, little tray that you have at the end of a flower pot. So, you know, for different size flower pots, you'll find that different trays of different size will fit into that cone because of the different diameters as you move up the cone. And if you punch a few holes in those trays and you put a bucket full of maggots in the top of them, by their natural movement, they'll slowly drop down. So I designed a feeder, and I should have put an IP on this now that I think about it. Um, I divine, designed a feeder for the dippers on the streams and I put them out onto the rivers then and I had Welsh language translations, which was lovely um, to explain what I was doing with my experiment. We put them up on six different rivers with calcium and six with food and six controls or reference sites. And of course, the first season, nothing happened. I couldn't get the birds to feed on them. So I felt like a bit, a bit silly, to be honest, uh, because it didn't work. But then the next year, what I did was, rather than put feeders in, because they were too intrusive on the rivers, you know, what I did was I got the concrete blocks with a little layer in them, and I put the maggots into them, and fantastically it worked. And we, we were able to show by feeding these dippers on the rivers that we could improve their breeding cycles, improve their, their clutch sizes. And then to apply that up, the idea was then if, okay, if we knew what was limiting, then we could put riparian riverbanks. So we put along the riverbanks trees that said I would enable a food supply to cascade down. So that was, that's my early career. And then, you know, I, I came back, I was lucky enough to, uh, to be inspired in my own career as a, by Professor Maura Mulcahy, who was a professor of zoology. The first, probably the first, one of the first professors, women professors in UCC, certainly one of the early, she was also vice president. Um, and she, when she became vice president, asked me, invited me to do a temporary contract in teaching in zoology. 
and the rest is history. So I, uh, I've been really lucky to have a, inspiring people around me, having amazing animals and plants to work with and, you know, amazing people to work with. That's, you know, that's my background, you know. So if you want to be president of a university, design a bird feeder is what you're saying? Design a bird feeder <laughs> and, and, and work in exotic places and, and yeah, and look and also to be, I suppose, to be open-minded about inquiry and, and to be creative and to try things and, and, and to be, you know, just be inquiring and, 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 and be research intensive, you know, and I think, you know, when I talk about research in the institution, I talk about research for first or second or third years and fourth years and master's students and PhDs and faculty because research is what the university is about, you know, yeah. So you've been here since the, the start of Green Campus. Can you tell yeah. us a bit about the history of it? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, as, as, as I mentioned earlier, I had very few students in my, my, in my class, but then as, as I came back as a faculty member and we, we started to build zoology and ecology and environmental science, we certainly started to mobilize and, and, and attract students who were mobilized by, by the whole idea of the, of the environment and, and pushed us actually to, to see what we would do different. So Darren Reedy and Maria Coran and a few other students way back then, 10 years ago, decided that this was important, um, that we would have a green campus. And the origin of course is in back then that in primary school and secondary school, there were green flags and students came to university and said, well, why don't we have a green flag in the university? And so they asked the question and they, they pushed the management of the institution. Um, and I was a lecturer at the time. So the, the president at the time, um, Michael Murphy decided this was really important actually. And, and I worked with Michael and the team and with Mark Poland and the team and buildings in the States. And we decided this was really, really important. So that was 10 years ago. Um, and I think what people have often asked me is why is UCC so successful at our green? And I'm not saying that, and you're not saying it, but actually the world is saying it outside. Uh, I think we're successful because we have that magical combination of students, academics, and people in buildings and estates that, and, and libraries and everywhere else across the institution. But actually, that's what makes the Green Campus special. So Maria Coran, Darren Reedy, and you know bees down in the North Mall. So in, in that stage, they went through the bins and they, they started to segregate out the waste and they suddenly identified the plastic waste was featuring and a whole range of other things were featuring. And that was the beginning of it, uh, Mark. You know, So it was student-led at that point, you know? Yeah, and I suppose that kind of links into my next question is the motto behind Green Campus is student-led, research-informed and practice-focused. Can you talk about kind of the, the significance of that? Yeah, and you know, that flows really nicely. And I know Mark Poland and I spent, if I'm honest, probably about two years to get that right. And when I say get it right, that the ethos of what we were trying to do was right. And what I mean by that is that, so what, first of all, do we mean by the student led? What I, what I love about the university uh, is the students. Uh, that's why I'm here, a student, research student, undergraduate students. Why? Because you're, f you're full of ideas, full of new ideas, incredibly challenging. So the idea that, that the student values, that the students press us all the time to bring change. So that's the student-led piece. Because, you know, every year we're lucky, I'm lucky enough to have cohorts of new students coming in and some leave and they go have, do amazing things in the world. So I'm constantly challenged. And the next part is the research informed. And to me, that's really important for UCC because University College Cork is a research intensive university. Research is about generating new knowledge. It's about reimagining old problems with new solutions. It's about being in innovative. So the idea is that the students would generate ideas. We'd research them so that we'd actually make sure that what we're doing is, is stands up incredible. 
And then finally, we're practice focused, which is in some ways uh, you could simply say, uh, do as we do as we say. In other words, that, you know, there's no point talking about all this unless you live that in your life. And I've always said we're not perfect at, at UCC. We're learning all the time. We're not going to stand up there and say we're, we're a great university. Well, we do actually. But what I mean by that is that we continuously learn um, and people from the outside say and give us the accolades. But our students and our staff and our researchers and all the, the, the staff across the institution have enabled the green campus to actually work. And I suppose what the, the, the next phase of that then was that we started getting the green flag awards and we started to renew that. And then we, we discovered we had something really special here with a combination of student activism in the best sense of the word, student ideas, management collaborating, doing research, and then suddenly we got a whole group of people together, what we call the Green Forum. So that's the forum of the institution where students, academics, professional staff, anybody who's interested in changing this world comes together to have a conversation and take actions on, on sustainability. So, so that's the origin of the student-led research informed and practice focus. And, you know, I'm really proud that our students actually will constantly challenge us. I mean, it may be uncomfortable for me sometimes, and I'll be honest, because I'm, I'm trying to, change comes difficult for all of us. And I think if students challenge us, then we have a really good chance of making it better, you know? I think so far it's been working, you know, credit where credit's due. We were saying there, the, the 10 year anniversary of the first green flag was last year, I think. Yeah. In that time, what's your proudest achievement of the green campus program? Uh, I suppose there's lots of them, you know. Um, I mean, we at that 10, 10 year, if I, I might indulge one or two, at the 10 year celebration, uh, we brought in, uh, Maria brought in, Maria Coran, Dr. Maria Coran, who's our sustainability officer, brought, invited in schools, primary school children to from all over Munster and beyond to narrate what it meant to them looking at UCC and what green flag meant for them. And I was sitting there listening to amazing 10, 12, 14 year olds talking about the importance of sustainability. And I, if I'm honest, that was incredibly proud, not because of anything I had done actually, but actually their, their teachers, their parents, the community and the university had given them a space and a place to articulate something that's really important. And then, of course, a university president kind of relies on, on, on a whole range of other external validations. So, I mean, what I'm really proud of, I suppose, is that we were ranked eight in the world for our sustainability impacts under the Times Higher Education. And we're ranked ninth, ninth in the world under the uh, Indonesian uh, Green Metrics Ranking Scheme. And that's been going on for, that's one of the longest ranking green systems. And we're the only university in the world that's in the top 10 and for both those. And, you know, these are moments that, you know, Ireland is in the top 10 in many things, actually, and universities similarly. So I'm really proud collectively. I mean, I'm, as Mark, as you will know, I'm only one person. I'm just the front person. There's a lot of people doing a huge amount of work. Um, and I think that pride that we all share, actually. Um, and then finally, I think the work that Fiona Carney has been doing in the Glutzman um, in reaching out into marginalized communities and supporting them in their green agenda in true engagement with art, creativity and practice that's just really special so I've given you a few examples there but you know and I, I should only give one but I look I'm really proud of everything we've done and 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 it's just fantastic you know um, uh, I know it's only your second day so this this question might be a bit mean but what are <laughs> what are some of the things you hope to achieve in your presidency when it comes to sustainability no I think look that's a really good question because I've thought about it long and hard and one of the reasons that I, I really wanted to become president of UCC is to serve to serve 
our, our university, our community, this great university, which I'm a proud alumnus. Uh, I'm one of, of a number of presidents and there'll be many more after me. So, so I'm here to serve and the serving that I think that I can do both uh, at best at the moment is to enable further work to be done on sustainability. Um, so my, my overall vision is that it's about securing our future. So that's securing the future of the planet. And that's for, you might say that's very ambitious and we need to be ambitious actually. You know, there's a lot of really interesting things happening in the planet today in terms of either climate action, mitigation, increased greenhouse gases, plastics, habitat loss. You know, we, you and I can go on. Um, uh, so my, my ambition and vision is to try and secure the planet, secure the university and secure our community. So as part of all of that, uh, I want to try and uh, accelerate our sustainability agenda through both research and, and teaching. Um, and we've started to do some of that. We've a lot to do. So you know, in my world, I would like to make sure that as a scientist, that we listen carefully to our, our humanities colleagues, our colleagues in music and performance and in, in, in poetry, in English, in, in sociology, so that you know, the world's problems are not solved through single disciplines. So if, if I make a small contribution is to try and create tapestry of people in the community in which we live, to have conversations and to do interesting uh, research and discovery to enable us to change the world. I mean, that's what I really want to do. Um, and I, I think we will do that through research. I think we will do it through our curriculum, but also by enabling people to have the, the, the opportunity to reach out of their boundaries of their own disciplines, to have conversations. Uh, I mean, I'll indulge for a second. It was an amazing uh, moment for me, the Environmental Research Institute, which is part of the university, which is a fantastic group of four to 500 researchers working on a whole range of sustainable issues from law right through to, to, hard, uh, to the sciences, to, to medicine. And I remember having a, a workshop and we've all, look, you've been in classes and we've all been in there and I went in with my PowerPoint and I did the usual kind of thing. And, and then suddenly we had this amazing Professor Jules Gilson who came in and did sustainability through dance. So she did a dance about sustainability. And what struck me at that moment, Mark, and maybe there's something for you and I as scientists in this, what struck me at that moment is, you know, there's a lot of really good science about green, about climate, about sustainability, about habitat loss. But somewhere along the way, the science isn't being translated to speak to people's hearts. Um, I mean, we're rational people, we talk about minds. So I thought Professor Gilson uh, actually found a place where you can speak to people's hearts through dance and through music so and through literature. So I think, and, and that's not to say that, that in themselves are not important, of course they are, um, but actually enable, to enable or to unlock some of that amazing moments about understanding sustainability through other uh, other other disciplines and other pedagogies. So look, that's a big ambition, but that's what I'd like us to do. And I and I think we're in a lucky position that we might be able to do it, you know? Yeah, and, and when it comes to sustainability, the, the people, the communities, and kind of that, that empathy is so important to actually getting the message across. It is, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think sometimes you know, people in white coats and they can, there's a kind of a stereotype, isn't there, that we need to get beyond, you know, sustainability is not for just scientists, it's for everybody. It's all our responsibility, actually. And uh, whether you're a poet, whether you're a musician, whether you're a dancer, whether you're a hard uh, scientist or engineer, whatever, you know, I think that's absolutely right, you know. So most people, I suppose, kind of just pass through UCC, whether it's for three, four or five years. How are we ensuring that our graduates and our alumni are bringing sustainability with them throughout their entire lives? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, first of all, I think it's for all of us. I think if you write, it's for graduates, it's for our, it's for our students and for our faculty. So you may or may not know that um, when I, in my previous role as Deputy President of Registrar, I set out to do the very first academic strategy. And in that, there's what's called a connected curriculum. Uh, and in the connected curriculum, we call out a number of really important elements that what I call that need to be embedded in the curriculum. Um, and what I mean by that, so research, which is you'd expect, uh, interdisciplinarity, transdisciplinarity, sustainability, global citizenship, and community engagement. And the idea is, is that anybody looking at a curriculum needs to embed some element of sustainability in it. And you know, it might seem obscure sometimes. And I always ask the example, if you're looking at, interested in Irish or ancient Irish, how, how do you ensure a connected curriculum? Well, we're doing a lot of really good research on ancient manuscripts. Professor Podrick McCall in Irish is doing some amazing work. Employability is important. So what skills do you develop in that to help our graduates? And sustainability. I mean, sustainability is about maintaining communities. It's about maintaining languages. It's about maintaining diversity. So you can embed those values. Um, so the idea is that the connected curriculum will enable us to at least start the conversation and embed it. And then the second part is our graduate attributes. So the graduate attributes program is sets out to, to, to what's distinctive about university college course students and graduates. And I think sustainability will be part of that. So I think, I think we're, it's on a journey. We're not there yet. And I, and I wonder where we ever get there, but that would be formed part of the way which we go about doing that, I think, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that, that is something that, and John Barrymore's doing a lot of work on it. Absolutely, well. absolutely. John Barrymore's doing some really good work on that. And thank you for reminding me that it's, <laughs> it's been really, really, really good, you know. Um, so kind of moving on, what do you think UCC's role is in delivering climate action in Ireland and globally? I know we're doing a lot as a sure. campus, but... Yeah, and I think that's really good. Um, so I think the first thing is that it, through our education and research. So let's, you know, a university is about education and it's about research. So by educating citizens, global citizens who are activists, who are informed, who are mobilized, who are passionate, who have knowledge. Um, so that's the first three through education. Through research then, of course, you know, we generate new knowledge, we find new solutions. Um, so we've got fantastic work going on in the Environmental Research Institute, but in particular in Marai. Marai is our SFI center led by, jointly led by uh, Professor Jerry Murphy and Professor Gabino Gallicor. And these are great colleagues together with Gillian Bruton are, are driving an amazing program of research, which involves looking at different energy sources to reduce climate action, looking at climate action policy, because we can do all the great science and but actually converting that into policy. So I think there's a range of elements. And then the final piece for me um, is COP26. And we know that later this year, we have a COP26 happening in, in Scotland and UCC is one of a small number, it's the only university to my understanding in Ireland that will attend have, has observer status. We will have people going there, including students um, who will be listening, presenting and advocating from their research about actually what's important in climate action. So I think there's a whole range of places that we can participate and have the responsibility actually to participate in that global, local and, and national agenda. And I suppose looking my next two questions are very much looking to the future. What do you think are the biggest challenges facing UCC? Yeah, I think the, the biggest challenge facing UCC first, then the, I suppose the, the sustainability part. I mean, the biggest challenge facing any higher education institution is the financial models that underpin the infrastructure. They make sure that we have the best students, the best staff and the best infrastructure. And that will always be challenging. You know, that will always be. But it is particularly challenging for us now because we, the funding model 
that has, in, has not enabled the kind of infrastructure or indeed the support for some students and, and staff to recruit and get to staffing student levels in a way that I'd like them to be. So that will be a, a constant challenge and you know I will continue to work at that. Um, as we move into the future for sustainability, I think the biggest challenge will be to keep the energy, to keep uh, focused on, on on not, it's not a fad, you know what I mean? So, I mean, the challenge will be that this, you know, we flip over and say, what's the next thing that's coming? Actually, no, we've been at this a, a long time together. You know, the very first ERI is 20 years, actually. We talked about Green Campus being just over 10, but in the 11th year now, but the Environmental Research Institute is 20 years old. And, you know, the previous presidents way back when, Jerry Rickson, Professor Jerry Rickson, uh, as, a, as a very young academic, I sat on the Environmental Committee. Um, so I think this is an ongoing project and the challenge will be is to maintain that momentum, to maintain the credibility and avoid the greenwashing. You know, I mean, I think, and that's why I said at the beginning that we're not perfect. I mean, I'm sure anybody can walk around this campus to say, oh, my goodness, you're telling me that's a sustainable campus. And, and the truth is we're human. We make mistakes. We, so the challenge will be to keep our focus, to keep uh, supporting our students, listening to our student voices with new ideas and also working with the, the students and faculty and, and, and the professional service to continue the momentum on our sustainability agenda, you know? Yeah. The, the next five to 10 years are, are so important, whether it's mm. with the 2030 SDGs or with the, the IPCC reports. What, where do you see UCC in terms of sustainability and climate action in those next five to 10 years? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really good question, Mark, and I wish I could get the answer to it. Um, I, think, I think where we ought to be um, we ought to be close to carbon, you know, we have, we get close to carbon neutral as we can, actually, uh, the race to carbon zero, we will commit, we have committed to, that we will uh, have systems and, and processes in place to minimize our environmental impact in every way we can. Uh, what I really love is that if we had a, a, a sustainable energy source for the entire institution, and maybe together with Monster Technological Institution, that maybe we're big enough as an institute to have our own um, offshore device, offshore fields or, or something that will take the energy from us or for us. Um, so my, my, my ambition is that we've got to keep on this journey. This is too important. And that we also have to make sure nobody gets left behind. You know, we can have all of these really good conversations and do really good research. But, you know, when I walk out the gates, if you're into any community, what will the impact be for them? You know, how are we going to ensure that nobody gets left behind either through inequality through starvation, through poverty, for fuel poverty. So the ambition will be to make sure we bring people with us and in five years time and 10 years time that we are in a better place and a safer place to, to live in the world in which we live in, you know? Yeah, and I suppose finally, John, as, as we finally return to campus and a lot of people will be visiting campus for the first time, do you have a favorite place on campus? Yeah, I, my favorite place, and I mentioned rivers earlier because I love rivers. So I think if you combine the Glucksman next to the river, that's a very special place for me. I think there's, a, there's the, the, the Glucksman itself, there's the river flowing by. You've got otters along the river there. I've seen otters in under the bridges, but there's also a very famous tree there. I don't know if, if this is widely known, but the Talented Student Program, which I established, Quercus, is based on, on, the, on the Latin for oak. So there was an oak tree that was planted there by a student. And that student uh, took an acorn from the pocket of a soldier who had died in the First World War. And that acorn was taken from that soldier in the, in the, 
in, in, the, in, the, in the killing fields and brought back here and planted next to the Glucksman, next to the river, to produce this amazing oak tree that it is today, which symbolizes what I think our talented students at University College Cork are about. They stand up to the strong winds, they fix carbon, they'll do the kinds of things that are really important and they'll be incredibly resilient. So that's why it's a special place for me. Beautiful river, a beautiful gallery, and a beautiful place where the young person brought a, a memory from the field, killing fields of France, to plant an oak, acorn, which became an oak to symbolize this great university. On that note, John, thank you very much for joining us. And once again, congratulations. And I look forward to seeing the next few years of, of your work as president. And I'm I'll be keeping a close eye on it. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, thank you very much. I really enjoyed that conversation. And we did use the half an hour, I think, didn't we? Absolutely, yeah. Which is good. Well done. Thanks, William and John.